This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Billong. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week, we're going for a car ride to go dig a hole and watching spine number 45 in the Criterion Collection, Abbas Kiarostami's Taste of Cherry from 1997. But first, RJ, have you managed to wash the smell of cow shit from your skin? Well, you can never wash that off, Jer. It's like a trailer trash girl kind of thing. You can take them out of the trailer, but the trash is living in, in the colon. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I, I, I've heard. I don't know if that from uh, firsthand experience, but... Oh, well, you'll get there. No, uh, I I'm, I just showered, so I, I bet there's probably some, uh, some residual, um, you know, stuff on me. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. Are your cats but, suspicious of you? Yeah, they were very suspicious. I've only been at home for about 10 minutes, and they were rubbing on the pants, meowing, and they were just like, mostly they were like, where the fuck were you? No. So they've, they've gotten used to me being home all day for like three months. Being one so of the cats. Being one of the cats today, I was gone like all day, and they're just like, what the fuck? And it's like, you think you can just leave anytime you want? Mm-hmm. Jeez. Unbel- unbelievable. Yeah, what's up with you, man? Well, uh, if you recall last week, me talking about how all these like students were malingering and not like doing what oh, they're yeah. supposed to do on time, and I was going to see them all at the last minute. Oh, well, yeah. it's the last minute, and sure enough, uh, many smiling faces all waiting for my help mm-hmm. all show up, wanting to start from scratch, and uh, so I'm having to carry the weight of a bunch of uh, louses. And, uh, that's, that's kind of my, uh, lot in life. Well, I, I would say that I feel bad for you, but I don't, frankly, you deserve everything that you get. Mm-hmm. That's what I get paid to do. So, yeah. Plus you just, you're a bad person. So <laughs> you can, you can have a few, few knocks come your way. Mm-hmm. That's the way I see it. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, RJ, uh, what have you uh, crept on this week? Who, Jer? I've had quite a busy week, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Quite a busy week. But I did get one in for you. Yeah. And uh, it's only been about five days, but it has uh, qu- rapidly faded from my memory. So I'm going to try my best uh, at recapping this uh, this thing for you. So after all that talk about uh, the It movie last week. Mm-hmm. I was feeling pretty good. I was feeling pretty fresh. Uh, that uh, I was like, yeah, this is all right. And I was like, hey, you know what? This Andy Moschetti, he's got a different movie out there. Only one. I said, why don't I watch that? And I didn't have a whole lot of expectations going in. And I think I even mentioned I had a... I don't necessarily think it's a, a fair judgment on just him altogether because I do think it's probably a little bit of a Guillermo del Toro's hand. But uh, his movie, his directorial debut was um, Mama, from mm-hmm. like sometime in history. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was like two years ago. I don't really remember. Um, so yeah, I watched that Mama movie, and uh, that is a movie that he actually made a short. Yes. And Guillermo del Toro saw and was like, "Ooh, I like this." Uh, I'm Guillermo del Toro. That's how he talks. Don't question it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, "I like this," and so he got him in and. They made a whole movie based on a 20-second short. And you know what, Jer? They should have kept it at a minute. Yeah. Hi-oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not super sharp tonight. Uh, 
there's not a whole lot to it. There's uh, these kids who get orphaned in the woods, and then a ghost adopts them. It's very del Toro-y. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, some distant family members find the do- uh, the kids, and they're like, hey, we'll take you in. And then there's a, a game of cat and mouse with the ghost mother uh, trying to reclaim the children from these from the relatives. Mm-hmm. Um, it's there's it's not very good. Uh, it's just jump scare CGI, like really bad, like not bad CGI, but like it just looks dumb. Like the ghost is just like a really wrinkly old lady, and it's like oh. She's got that floating spaghetti hair thing, yep. which I don't really, I don't really know why that's scary. Uh, it, the movie stars, uh, what's her face? You know the one from Inception or from Interstellar, oh, the redheaded lady, Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain, yeah, and she's horribly miscast. Mm. She's playing like a, a punk rocker who like doesn't care about kids. And she's got like short black hair and was wearing like misfits shirts and stuff like that. Yeah. It seemed, I don't know, it, it didn't really, maybe other people can look over that, but I was like, that doesn't really seem like her. You know, I, I get her, man. And I, I just, I feel like that's not her. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's, I can't even remember anything about this movie. I, I remember I didn't like it. I see Jamie Lannister's in it. Yeah, he's the lead. He's He doubles down. He plays the, uh, uh, bad father who like abandons the kids in the woods basically yeah. well the the mama spirit kills him and so he does abandon them and then uh, he plays also his twin brother who later finds the kids mm. is isn't that fun isn't that fun so right now i'm just looking at some uh stills of this thing <laughs> and uh yeah i don't know like i've heard some things about how this movie is like it's not CGI, it's like augmented like reality mm-hmm. where like they had like actual puppets and stuff and then they CGI'd them to make them look better, but it seems to have failed miserably. He did that in Crimson Peak too though, remember? Well, yeah, old GDT. Um, yeah. That's his thing. Yeah, but I mean, I'd say that the Crimson Peak stuff looks a lot better than this. But yeah. uh, I guess this movie is now all of 4 years old, so I mean, there's your excuse for uh, questionable effects. <laughs> I don't think it would have looked good then either. And no. like, just it's not it's not scary at all. It's just like jump stuff and really like lazy stuff. Where like Jessica Chastain will come in the room and the kids will be laughing and the closet door will close and the kids will be like, "Don't look in the closet." Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Oh my god, what's in the closet?" And then, and then like she'll turn and it'll be like where she was and it'll be like boo, booga booga booga, spooky. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It doesn't make me any less amped on this guy. I'm, I'm pretty sure this guy was is like talk, had a big company was like, hey, make this movie, but make it the way we want to. Mm. And he was like, okay, sure, <laughs> yeah. whatever. So I mean, for a directorial debut, it was just fine. Like there was nothing. Other than the movie itself, like it's there was a, nothing wrong with it. What you're it saying is, it's, a, it's a competent bad movie. Yeah, it's a competent bad movie. Like it had some nice shots, and um, he seemed to know what he was doing. At least it's just it's a bad movie. That's all. <laughs> that's it. So uh, that was really the only movie I watched. However, I was 
joined into i was morphed into a group of uh chowder heads as i li- I'd like to call them for uh this thing called wrestlemania have you heard of such a thing i i am familiar with the means yeah what number was this wrestlemania uh well uh the controversy there is that this is the 33rd wrestlemania uh but wwe uh would leave you no. believe that this is called wrestlemania sunshine or sun <laughs> Because they don't, because uh, numbers mean old, uh, and because nothing, they're not numbering it anymore. They don't like to use the numbers, even though everyone will use the numbers. If you go to the Wikipedia page, it's called yeah. WrestleMania 33. But numbers mean old, and Vince McMahon, owner of the WWE, is afraid of death, and so he yeah. doesn't like to use numbers. Because I mean, nothing is successful if it has numbers, just like the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's why they I mean, called the World Series yeah, the World Series. Yeah, exactly. I mean, by numbering the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. I mean, it's really driven that uh, franchise into the ground. Yeah, those poor bastards. I heard a lot of those guys have to work double jobs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Poor NFL yeah. players. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I think CFL players do work two jobs, so that's kind of sad. So, yeah, but, you, uh, yeah. You, you got to watch WrestleMania with uh, me and my uh, wrestling watching pals on Sunday. Your and, brethren of Arby's friends. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, we started this tradition uh, in 2011 with the 27th mm-hmm. WrestleMania. Uh, up to that point, I was what you call a lapsed fan. And, uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about it since the heyday, the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And then I just thought, oh, God, wrestling. And then uh, my buddy Corey, he just, like, had this idea of, like, watching wrestling again in 20, mm-hmm. 2011. And he's like, yeah, let's check it out. So I got kind of brought along on that ride. And from that point forward, we kind of started just watching those pay-per-views and I've uh, been following ever since. And mm-hmm. uh, this this time out, I thought to myself, hmm, perhaps RJ would like to uh, imbibe in some of the uh, fake athletics. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh... What fake athletics indeed. Uh, So I also am what you would call a lapsed fan. You and me have talked about this many times, but I watched in the 90s, like any good 90s kids. Uh, Being from Canada and and Alberta, we were big Bret Hart boys Mm -hmm. and Owen Hart, RIP, and British Bulldog. Uh, I was around the time when uh, Mick Foley and Stone Cold Steve Austin and uh, The Rock when he still wore like disco shirts and stuff like that. Do you remember Mm. when he did that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The the Attitude Era. Yeah, the Attitude Era. Yeah, that's when I was watching and I loved it then. Mm -hmm. And then I think what happened was I think I stopped like when I was like 12, like in grade six maybe. Uh, So around like 2002, 2001. I was trying to like pinpoint the exact time. I think that's when I stopped. So. But uh, yeah, so I, I used to be a fan, and I told this story before. But uh, uh, my dad owned the first fifteen WrestleManias on VHS, and uh, I was a fan for a long time until I did some detective work when uh, it was Undertaker versus Kane, uh, <laughs> and I paused the VHS, and then you know when you click pause again, and it's like mimicking slow motion. Yeah. I was doing that, and I discovered that during the pin, Kane lifted his own hand up onto his own chest, aiding The Undertaker in winning the match. And it was at that moment uh, when an 11 or 12-year-old RJ was just like, what the fuck? It's like, how can this be? My whole world was shattered. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that was that was when it came to an end. So but, it, all, uh, it all started at WrestleMania 14 for you, the beginning of the end? 
Yeah, exactly. So that was it. Um, however, I do like wrestling, and uh, I am I'm glad that you brought me because it is fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the f- I, people can say what they want about fake athleticism and stuff, but there are those dudes who like. Like, look at Mick Foley. That motherfucker was falling, like, 20 feet off of cages, like, onto concrete. And, like, his body is so broken in real life. You know mm-hmm. he was really doing that shit. Well, so yeah, he, he there, definitely was. <laughs> there, There is some, like, skill and sport to that. And uh, it's just, it's a, it's, a, it's a wild show, right? Yes. It's a wild show. So uh, I enjoyed watching the wrestling. I don't know if I told you that. But, no, uh, you, you hadn't. I was curious. Uh, well, I mean, like, I, that was kind of part of it. I was like, oh, this is see. Because my curiosity was more that uh, for a person that hasn't watched for, like, nearly 15 years, uh, like, yep. coming into it cold, not knowing who anybody was, other than, like, <laughs> the people who are still wrestling 15 years later, of which yep. there was, like, five people. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and there's some people who are, like, uh, relations and, like, cousins and nieces nephews or whatever of Mm -hmm. or sons or daughters of like guys that were wrestling 20 years ago so you get to see kind of the continuity because uh, all of like mainstream wrestling is owned is just one company now and there's a bunch of little companies there's uh, japan uh which uh, i'll just throw out there uh far like surpasses the wwe stuff in quality Mm -hmm. like in ring quality and stuff like that um yeah, so I was kind of curious what a person like I would consider a kind of like a, a lapsed fan would think of the current stuff, and that was kind mm-hmm. of my interest of like seeing how you would react to things and like how things yeah. would play to you. Because for me, I, I feel already jaded. Like I kind of like yeah. roll my eyes at a lot of stuff. I see like, oh my god, it's this again. And to me, it's all very pat and kind of dull. Even though I fucking still will sit there for goddamn five hours and mm-hmm. uh, watch this stuff. Um, I don't know. It's kind of a, uh, a being glutton for punishment so i was curious sure. uh, how you would take to this uh spectacle yeah no i was entertaining and uh, as you said it was probably the best time i could have came back because there was all these old fuckers that i actually watched like uh who do we have we had like undertaker triple h chris jericho and then my man bill goldberg i mm-hmm. used to have a bill goldberg poster over my bed mm-hmm. and it was him in his speedo and he i think it said like who's next on it and he was like growling he's like Arr. he's like i'm gonna get you you little kid and i was like "Ooh, no so uh <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> right who's next who's next he's gonna uh, spear you yeah so uh it was a good time for me to come in because there were all these old guys. Because if it was only these new guys, oh my god! Mm. If it was just this, if it was like Br- that Bray Wyatt guy versus a uh, Roman Reigns, I would have left. <laughs> I w- if that was the first thing that I would have saw, I would have left. I would been like, I don't care. I don't care if I'm like an hour away from home. I'm walking home. You guys suck. Don't ever invite me back. Okay. Because those guys are just like, whew. well. RJ, um, this is like you basically have hit the uh, nail on the head as far as like the problem with the uh, WWE product uh, as it exists currently because uh, 11 months out of the year, uh, that is exactly the sort of match that you get to see week in, week out at the pay-per-views on the network promoted constantly is you get these, you get the Bray Wyatts and you get the Roman Reigns and they wrestle against one another and they wrestle against one another continuously forever and ever. Um, Mm -hmm. and neither guy really ever, um, gets over. Nobody is successful at like winning over fans. 
Uh, mm-hmm. because everyone's kind of just booked to like win and lose back and forth. They just trade wins and losses. Uh, but then yep. the old guys show up who yeah. existed in an era before this bad booking existed. And uh, they, they're they over with the crowd. And then they're also booked to win all the time because uh, unless they're the only time they lose is when it matters and when it's like the right time to have someone lose. And so these guys came from a previous era when guys didn't weren't uh, booked like geeks. And right. uh, so they are, of course, cheered and people love them still because that's mm-hmm. the way they're treated. And the new guys who have to like do the actual work every week and like travel around and like they do all the stuff they they make the money year round but then when it comes to the big event they all get like they all get jobbed out they all get a lose they all take pins and they get bumped around unless it's like a select couple guys actually one guy um the before mentioned uh roman reigns for instance that guy's the fucking worst i hate that piece of shit so so what's hilarious about that and i mean i'm sorry criterion creeps listeners if the wrestling talk is uh like absolutely foreign you can just skip ahead i understand yeah. um mm-hmm. but uh so yeah the thing with roman reigns is this character is like he's positioned in the mind of vince mcmahon as this guy who is like he's he's, he's the future he's like he's hulk hogan he's mm-hmm. steve austin he's john cena he's going to be the guy that like is going to sit make the sales he's going to have the main event matches and yeah. like people are going to come and pay all around the world to see him uh the, the harsh reality of that right now anyway is that the you're you're uh, hardcore fans, you're like most committed wrestling fans who are like the only people really watching wrestling anymore. They fucking yeah. hate this guy. And um, like, and it's one of those things where I thought maybe, oh, we're just jaded and like, we're like, mm-hmm. we, we read the same stuff online. And, oh, we all hate this guy. But I think it's really funny that you watched like within five minutes of seeing Roman Reigns on the screen, you just went, oh, I don't like this guy <laughs> at all, which is hilarious because it's like, that's yeah. not at all what people should be thinking or at least that's what the Mm -hmm. company is but the hope is right now that uh in the next over the next little bit here roman reigns will finally uh turn heel or at least be like presented Mm -hmm. as like a bad guy so that people will like can go along with the storyline that he is a dominant bad guy rather than we're being told he's a good guy but he's like greasy looking goatee kind of a douchebag smarmy uh who always wins and it's like Mm -hmm. He's the good guy, right? But it's like, no, no, he's not a good guy. He's he's like yeah. a greasy dude that I don't want to hang out with. Even though, mm-hmm. like, by all reports, uh, the, the actual man behind the character is like a super nice guy, and all the guys in the back think he's a great dude and they want the best for him. But boy, mm-hmm. the the uh, the booking and writing that he has to do, the the dialogue that he has to say yeah. in interviews and promos, is just terrible. And like, that's why mm-hmm. people hate him because his matches all kind of work the same way. He like just wins at the end it, it's it's all the shortcuts are handed to him and people are just mm-hmm. like like man if you put this much effort into like another guy who's like we're we actually like like it would be far more successful but they have like a whole mentality now of um i don't know they know better and uh they're just going to play it by their own beat of the drum and mm-hmm. uh, you, you have to accept it and i mean i mean by all, and by all reports, Roman Reigns definitely sells the most merchandise, which is a huge, like, key indicator. Right. I mean, wrestling is so weird. Like, I mean, yeah. so one of my frustrations with wrestling is, like, wrestling fans, too, they get, like, hung up on the way things are done, and they're they're kind of, like, are accepting of a lot of things. But uh, I saw this really great Twitter post about, like, the, the length of this goddamn show, which is, like, mm-hmm. you could watch Moonlight, Manchester by the Sea, and La La Land 
in the same amount of time that this one goddamn wrestling show went on. And I mean, yeah. that's a far better use of your time in a lot of ways. And like the actual quality is like so out there. Mm-hmm. Wrestling though, it's like, boy, you have to lower your standards and like your expectations of storylines and like storytelling and... um yeah. You you have to like accept so much crap, and it's like you know the reason why people like have these higher expectations of their stuff is because like culturally, every th- expectations of a lot of stuff have gone up, and like Vince McMahon at the end of the day is just like a you know shyster soap opera man who's like seventy two years old who doesn't watch mm-hmm. movies or TV because he has no time because he's running this ridiculous like this billion dollar company, and uh, I don't know he he goes back to his old tricks. He likes big men, big muscular men. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that I mean, hey, it works though. I mean. People fucking love that Goldberg Brock Lesnar match, and I mean oh, that yeah. was just two. That was two guys clattering the shit out of each other. And look at mm-hmm. that; it got over. And I actually I like that too, but I like some variety. But I, I've I've talked oh. a lot. I, I've talked a lot and interjected too much of my own opinion. So I don't know if you have mm-hmm. anything you want to throw out as far, as far as highlights or people you liked, people you didn't like. Anything like uh, that. I'll yeah. just finish up this Roman Reigns business. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I was going to say, it wasn't even five minutes of him wrestling. It was in the introductory video yes. to WrestleMania, and it showed him for 20 seconds and his sig- apparently signature move where he's pumping up his fist, and he's just, like, making a fisting motion, yeah. but apparently it supercharges his fist because yeah. his, his finishing move is a punch. He, he cocks his wrist. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I was going to say, yeah, I uh, I absolutely hated that guy the moment I saw him. And it, it's not because, and the thing, like, what you were saying is I'm totally naive to all this stuff yes. because you've tried to talk to wrestling about to me before and I usually divert the situation or I will talk about old guys I have the only new guys I know is like John Cena because yeah. that fucking guy's everywhere yeah, he's a that's meme he, he's a walking talking meme yeah. man yeah that that's it so I don't I didn't know anyone else and uh, you and your friends had a uh, a live broadcast of my opinions of uh, <laughs> all of these new people so it was great uh, yeah, so you you got it raw, baby. Um, but no, yeah, no, I I enjoyed it, and yeah, it's hammy and it's it's kind of goofy, but whatever, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's like what you were saying when you guys stumbled on it seven years ago. It kind of it, it's rekindling this love for you. I was looking back at what the old stuff I could watch. I'm gonna watch that old stuff. I think. Oh You and man. your friends just start over. Yeah. Yeah, I well, know you're seven years deep, but uh, just well, start over and you, I'll watch. You, you, you can watch back with us. We'll go back to like 1983 Starcade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, just start over and then we'll watch. But uh, no, uh, I think uh, if I had to pick, I'd say my probably my favorite wrestler was like um, Mick Foley. Mm-hmm. Although I did like uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, and when I was little, my mom got me non-alcoholic beer so I could pretend to be him and like do the thing where you pour it in your face. Because mm. I thought that was so cool. <laughs> so cool, Jer. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. There was other stuff, but I can't. I can't remember now. If I'll think about anything else, I'll I'll, I'll let you know. Well, if you like, I could uh, throw the match order. <laughs> oh uh, no. Okay. But well, I like seeing Goldberg. Yeah, uh, he's super. As I mentioned, Triple H was fun. I saw him in real life one time, so that's cool. Uh, his introduction was really funny because he rolled uh, rolled in on a trike. Uh, really slow. That was the other thing. The fucking ramp to get to the ring was like, I don't know what, five hundred feet long. Uh probably about three hundred is what I've read. Yeah, and it took like for some of the old people, like Undertaker, 
they knew he wasn't going to make it. So they let him, they dropped him in uh, from the bottom of it halfway through. Yeah. They like lifted him up from underneath because they're mm-hmm. like, we know this fucking guy can't walk that whole way. Well, they literally had to build like a, like an elevator to like, yeah. so he could rise up out of it. And then when he left, so he could go back down it. Yeah. Uh, so that's fucking. And, the, and, this, and this fucking, yeah. so this crippled man who's like, in, like who just had like, hip surgery yeah he wrestled a goddamn 23 minute match like this is this is this is the business that uh uh, i like financially support in a meager way Mm -hmm. it's like oh yeah here's like watch the 52 year old man like go get beat up it's because it's like yeah it's fake but you still have to like be somewhat like athletic it's predetermined uh stuff but yeah it's 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 crazy but he still get he still got tackled through like a table like the Mm. table was designed to break but like he still did it right Mm -hmm. so like there's like he's still falling on the mat all the time and i know it's got give but it it can't feel good yeah i I just think it's just nuts though it's just like yeah this guy can't walk down he can't walk 300 feet oh but Mm -hmm. it's okay he's gonna he's gonna go like bounce around on like steel cables and like jump up and down like a five foot apron and uh yeah for your amusement folks <laughs> for for your amusement yeah well he he should be retired now though so that's oh, okay yeah no it, it seems like the the at the end of the show he uh yeah. he left his hat and his his coat and his gloves yeah. in the ring and he's done he we don't need to see him wrestle ever again and I, i'm like totally okay with that yeah yeah no. i'm i'm good with that too uh, what was I going to say? That just reminded me that Bray Wyatt guy, this is relating back to Criterion. Uh, oh. so at, at moments of the match, there was a projector over top that would project like bugs and worms down on the ring. And it was supposed to be really spooky. And, and then <laughs> and let's it, there be was clear. A, let's be clear. That is not a normal thing that ever happens in wrestling ever. Well, I'm just assuming this is how this guy wrestles all the fucking time. It's not. Okay. That, that was like, that was a totally new thing that, uh, was a real showstopper. And, uh, no, no one liked that. No one liked that. Well, I'm going to assume this is how wrestling has been for a long time. So this was <laughs> unbelievable. And it even started with this, like, weird abstract movie that would like it would be like paired in a criterion collection as like the guy's first short video it was him carrying like a lantern and then would cut to like an image of like sped up bugs in the dirt and then it would like cut back to him he'd be like sorrow despair sadness and then it'd be like a like it, oh there was a lot of things of like snakes eating rats and mice mm-hmm. and it was like real footage and i was like why are they showing that that's really like i don't know i don't get it like i know a lot of the uh the fans are like older dudes but do like even middle-aged men want to see like snakes <laughs> eating like mice i don't know i don't think so i think well vince mcmahon probably does and and that's about it <laughs> So uh, that guy's gimmick really threw me off. I was like, what happened to like dudes like Macho Man where your gimmick was just you were awesome? You know what I mean? What's funny is you you totally pegged uh, Bray Wyatt though, like almost instantly. You're like, so is this guy's deal is like he's like the new Undertaker? And yeah. I was like, yeah, no, 100%. That is like totally the idea of it. He wrestled uh, Undertaker like two years ago at WrestleMania, but he lost because Good. Cause Bray Wyatt just gets to lose like every time he just loses. And it's like, yeah. well, but their idea for him is that he's like going to be like a, a top villain. But it's like, but you have to have like a good villain that's like, I don't know, worth watching and – Oh boy, they just He's make, like, make so many bad decisions. He he comes off as like hillbilly necromancer, and it's like that's accurate. That's okay. exactly what he is. And I guess like Undertaker is like not a hillbilly, but 
Well, he was a, he was an old he, he was know. a Western Undertaker, and then he yeah. became uh, at some point a, a zombie, and then he became <laughs> a, a biker, and and, Ooh, the, yeah, and, yeah. and, that, and now he's like an M- then he became an MMA zombie. <laughs> and, Aren't all zombies MMA zombies, Jared? Uh, some of them, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was a little bit weird, and that Randy Orton guy. Oh my god, <laughs> that guy has starred in so many gay pornos. Like, oh, it's unbelievable. Boy. Yeah, he's got. You just you look him up. You just look up any picture of him, and you're like, oh yeah, that guy's big on the uh, the underground porn scene oh, for yeah. sure. Oh, Randy. Yeah, my uh, the first time I ever saw Randy Orton was in 2011, and uh, he was wrestling CM Punk. And I had never seen either of those guys mm. before, and I was kind of like, oh, this CM Punk guy's kind of neat. And, oh, Randy Orton, he just looks like a douchebag. So he has, he has like, that Roman Reigns thing. And I don't yep. know, maybe it's because these are, like, big alpha males, and I'm just a lowly beta male who just, like, yeah. shirks at these real manly men, and I just don't like seeing yeah. them on my TV. But, no, I just like good characters. I mean, and, well, like, I don't it, know, like, Macho Man and Hulk Hogan were like super alpha oh, men, well, but yeah, they like, don't make me uncomfortable. No, they're uh, like, but they're, uh, I don't know. There's just something like totally different. Like, cause with like the Randy Orton, Roman Reigns, like they're based on like reality. Like they kind of like act like guys would act in real life. Like they're like dudes that you would see at the gym. Whereas like Macho Man and Hulk Hogan were like, unlike anyone you would encounter in reality, you would only ever see them in a wrestling television show. Like you would sure. never, like you wouldn't go, Oh, Hey, there's a Macho Man. There'd be guys that look, try to look, act like Macho man after the fact but they're not yep. like real human beings like they're mm-hmm. uh that which is like the appeal of them uh and in, in that particular window of time in the 80s when like everything was like steroided up and everybody was about huge yep. uh pulsating muscles Ooh, i do like pulsating things mm-hmm. especially muscles mm-hmm. i i do know what you mean though but that's kind of the vibe i got from a lot of those new guys and like when you're talking about roman reigns it reminds me you know in mean girls where <laughs> It's like really popular now, but it's like stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. Oh. That's like the the vibe I got from all these fucking people, like especially Roman Reigns. It's like stop trying to make that happen. Like nobody likes him. And it was illustrated perfectly. We noticed it when we watched it. And then I saw it took off on Twitter and like Instagram. Like a lot of people were screen capping and like showing it where one guy's sign was just a uh, Roman is a Holocaust <laughs> denier. <laughs> And I thought that we all thought that was really funny. Oh, so it's because it's like, yeah, he might be. He might uh, be. That's, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think like the next night uh, on the Raw, there was a sign that was like Roman Reigns is worse than polio. Mm, and that's actually come back. So, you know, that's bad. Mm-hmm. His just whole look is stupid. He's wearing like a fucking body armor vest. Yeah. Oh, no like, and no on. one yeah, it's like it's actually worse at one point. Like it was actually like very body armory, but now it's like more of like a skin suit that like is still like body army body armor looking. Ah, oh, it's so Cuz he got breast reduction? Uh, not yet. Not yet. No. It's not like old rock. Uh, and then, yeah, the other thing I remember you mentioning was like, you were like, so what's up with Seth Rollins and what's the difference between him and Roman Reigns? Cause they look like the yeah. same guy. And I'm like, yeah, no, they, they sure do. I, that doesn't actually get brought up very often though. The how like samey, like a lot of the dudes are. And I think that's kind of the case though, with like wrestling throughout the years is like, like we're going back watching stuff from the eighties mm-hmm. and we're up to like 93 right now. And there's always this weird windows of time where guys look just the same. Like, it's just like what happens with like, like there's like a, like a, a template look of like 
wrestlers that like this is what you have to look like if you want to be a wrestler. And it's like yeah. right now it's like you have long hair, which is like kind of a practical thing yeah. that like is good and a good idea in wrestling because when you're like when you're working and grappling guys, when you can whisper what you need to do next, it's helpful to have hair to cover up your face so it doesn't show up yeah. on the camera. But and like that was a thing that like kind of dropped out for a while, but now it's back and I don't know. I don't like there's like the man bun look is definitely like one that's been like floating yeah. around and um what were yeah, so say? that's what I noticed. Like, uh, I mentioned all the old guys wrestling, all the new guys. Uh, so Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, Bray Wyatt, although he was fatter than the rest, so yes. you could tell that. And then this guy, AJ Styles. They all looked almost, other than, like, if they were wearing a Speedo or, like, a shirt, they all had long hair, they all had beards, and, like, they were all, like, semi-white guys. I guess Roman Reigns is Samoan, but yeah. you could he fit in with all the other guys like they all looked exactly the same it's like this is just what new wrestlers look like i guess that or mm. fucking randy orton so i guess i'd take the long hair mm. um i don't know but <laughs> yeah that no that's all like i because that was it like everyone looked exactly the same there and then go. there was the miz and john cena and they basically looked the same although john Cena's like a, a- uh, like a gr- in grossly exaggerated human being like his oh, muscles yeah. are bigger than they should be mm-hmm. if it seemed like but anyway and he's and he's smaller now than he used to be he was even bigger like a couple years yeah. ago but he had like some shoulder injuries so he can't just work out the same way anymore so he's a little mm-hmm. he's, but he probably, he probably he moves around a little better though than he used to which is good yeah <laughs> Well, well, I think that's the, that yeah. should be that's the end of the wrestling talk. <laughs> yeah, well, that counts as you're creeping on because you didn't creep on anything. Did oh, you? I did. I watched. Oh, okay. I watched, well, never mind. I watched one movie, and there's not much to say about it. I watched a what little watch? film, RJ, called Bangkok Dangerous. Oh no! This stars one Nicolas Cage, mm-hmm. uh, directed by the Pang Brothers. Uh, so this is a remake. I didn't realize it was yeah. based on something before uh, of a movie from 99 uh, from the same directors called Bangkok Dangerous. Um, and this is a movie. It's about a hitman played by Nicolas Cage who has a job to go do. And it's in Bangkok in Thailand. And so it, you just get to go through the motions of him being the sort of isolated man. He doesn't want to get close to anybody in particular. Mm-hmm. And then he winds up hiring like a, uh, a Thai like kind of con artist man to be kind of like the go-between um and like you basically get get, get the whole setup with him in a at a previous job that like inevitably when it comes to the end of the job he's just going to kill his go-between guy so there's like no one that could identify him because he's just so existential (laughs) and uh so you get a storyline eventually with like him he's just killing people because he's being hired to take them out uh one by one by a mob boss uh, there right. and uh, he for some reason out of nowhere Nicolas Cage falls in love with a deaf mute pharmacist <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and like I could like having watched like a number of like uh, Hong Kong movies I could see how this would have played if it was like completely like if it was done like 10 years earlier with like all like Chinese actors yeah. but in this it's like you get the weird awkward Nicolas Cage face of him like 
playing things out and like he has to carry these scenes because she doesn't talk and she does sign language and he just goes oh yeah <laughs> and just these mm-hmm. scenes go on and on um the action is mostly uninspired but there are like two like ridiculously violent bits <laughs> that like just show up like when uh nicholas cage picks up the motor off of a boat and swings <laughs> it at this guy and just cuts off his hand and like quite yeah. like and it looks really good like for mm-hmm. like far better than I was expecting. Like usually they don't even focus on that stuff, but no, you get the shot of him like picking up a gun from the severed hand and using it on the guy. Uh, and then like, wouldn't the, you do that? Well, exactly. I mean, I yeah. wasn't expecting it in this movie. Um, and then you also get uh, Nicholas Cage, like facing off with a guy who's got grenades and Nicholas Cage, like just like turns this guy around. So the grenades between him and the guy or, the grenade there's a guy between this grenade and him and this man just takes the grenade blows nicholas cage to safety and then we cut to the guy blown in half like mm-hmm. it's like in a way that you never see like in like really like actually even good movies you don't see like this level of violence so i was like what the fuck like those are two like good bits but this movie is just like boring and uh yeah i don't know it reminded me of watching the steven seagal film belly of the beast like a month or so ago which was also another movie about a man traveling to asia and having uh uh, action escapades. Yeah. Yeah. So this movie, like, I don't think I've ever heard really anybody talk about it uh, at all. Like it has like mm-hmm. zero reputation, but you know, I've been watching these Nicolas Cage movies just to, cause I have nothing else to do in my life, I guess. Um, yep. And so, yeah, this movie is no good. Um, why bother? <laughs> you should have watched the movie. I told you to watch. Oh, it'll happen. It'll, it'll happen one of these days. It's, it's cause that movie rules. Yes. All right. So we're, we'll keep the fans uh, in anticipation as to what Nick Cage movie I'm talking about. But I actually like that movie. So okay. you'll see. You'll find out. When and then you'll be like, yeah, he was right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe. 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 Yeah, I saw that Bangkok Dangerous. All I remembered was the ending. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> so, yep. Cool. Cool. Uh, uh, well, uh, any news you'd like to report? Uh, your buddy Joss Whedon is going to make a Batgirl movie, apparently. Yeah. It's not confirmed, but like everybody in the world has basically confirmed it for him. So I guess that's happening. Are you excited? I know you're a big fan. Um, or used to be. Yeah. Oh yeah. Back in the, back in the day I was, uh quite the fan of that that, that Buffy mm-hmm. uh, but whew, I don't know how that stuff would hold up and like I watched that Firefly I watched that Serenity movie and it was like okay uh, and but I mean I thought that Avengers movie stunk and I never watched the second Avengers movie um, that one so stunk I'm like and I, I haven't watched any of that weird little like his indie little movies that he's done in between like the mm-hmm. Dr. Horrible sing-along stuff like I just have zero interest in it uh, right. Yeah, I, I don't know. I will. We'll see. I mean, what about Alien Resurrection? Ugh, I only saw that once, but uh, from all reports you seen yeah. recently, it sounds like a real piece of poop. Oh sure, and, it sure was. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe like maybe it's something positive though, because for like the DC brand, because those movies are kind yeah. of like now like kind of like like just like laughably dark and grimy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. Justice League seems to be kind of going down that same route because it's so so desaturated and dark. Yeah. Um, 
literally dark. literally dark uh so yeah. batgirl josh whedon it could be a good thing P- people might be into that um and at the mm-hmm. end of the day it's about the bottom line making those dollars making that box office yeah 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 speaking of spe- box office. speaking of box office rj hey rj did you go yeah. see that ghost in the shell movie this weekend fuck no well <laughs> You weren't alone because many people did not go see Ghost in the Shell. Uh, I could, mm-hmm. attri- I could. Uh, my anecdote there uh, would be on my Letterboxd. I follow like I don't know, 50, 60 people, and like usually yeah. for like a new movie, I'd say like five or six people wind up seeing this stuff. Uh, yeah. There's like a grand total of two, and like that's like one of them is like an actual film critic, and another one's like a guy that doesn't really go to like a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's um, no one went to this. And yeah, this movie flopped hard. Yeah, uh, which totally surprised me. Like I, I kind of forgot it came out because it was WrestleMania weekend, and I was busy yes. wa- listening to wrestling podcasts about the news and all that fun stuff. And I just like was like, whatever. There's a movie that came out. But hey, maybe maybe WrestleMania weekend hurt Ghost in the Shell. Maybe all those uh, maybe, yeah, probably maybe, maybe all those Weebos stayed uh, were out staying at home and uh, or at, down in Orlando and not going to see this Scarlett Johansson in skin tight outfit movie. Could be. So yeah, this movie made like what nineteen million dollars in like it cost one hundred and ten. It made like sixty million worldwide, yeah. and it's like that's like not where you want to be uh, with a movie like this because usually it drops off real quick. Yeah. Uh, it's saving grace currently is that it hasn't opened up in mainland China yet. It's happening this Friday. Oh yeah. And uh, but yeah, I mean this is no Lucy because that Lucy made like <sighs> a, like ridiculous amounts of money. Uh, yeah. Any thoughts on this? Any big takeaways? Uh, I never cared. Yep. Uh, I never watched the anime or read the manga. Yeah, I think there's yeah, a manga. Yeah, yeah, it's based on a manga. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not that I don't read and watch those things. I just, uh, I actually tried watching Ghost in the Shell like three times and it never had subtitles. And I was like, mm. fuck this. Yeah, so I just yeah. gave up on it years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I just, I didn't care. Uh, I did hear. Like, I remember everyone was, like, whitewashing. And it's like, well, yeah, that's what happens in America. Yep. Fucking, it's just how it is. They're not going to make a movie with all fucking, uh, like, Japanese actors. As much as you'd hope so. Although I did hear Disney's making a live-action Mulan movie, and they're going to fill that with all Chinese actors. Wow. Which makes sense for the Chinese market. Exactly. They They can get away with that one. Um, yeah, and uh, apparently Guy Ritchie's Aladdin will be full of uh, Middle Easterners. Oh. Hmm. So Disney's going to do it because they know where the fucking money is. That's... But, uh, well, who made this one? I thought it was like Disney. Or... Ghost of Shell? Uh, Paramount. Oh, okay. Well, fuck, whatever. Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they have, they're they uh, low stakes. They what, what what do they got for a franchise? They have Star Trek. That's about I it. Think, I think Signs was Paramount, so they had one win. Uh, no, yeah, I, I, about it to begin with and hearing that it failed, I continue not to care at all. Yeah. I feel like the one thing is like, there's going to be like people on Twitter who will like take this as a big, as a victory for like, their like campaigning, their social justicing of like about, wh- yeah. of why this failed. And they're going to say, yeah, it's because of this. And mm-hmm. that, 
That reminds me, uh, apparently Marvel Comics made a statement this week that their dedication to diversity uh, hurt their comic sales. Oh, okay. Because okay. because they made a bunch of like, uh, they made like a black Captain America and a black mm. Iron Man. And uh, a lot of people, they got a lot of backlash because people are like, uh, no, that's not how stuff works. Okay. So uh, now this is turning into the wrestling and comics, comics. news, comics industry <laughs> podcast. Cause I'm I can, sure people like it. Okay. So like, I don't know if I've made this clear on the the show, but I during the summer when I'm laid off from yeah. my university job, uh, I work at a comic book store. I yes. have worked at a comic book store for like fifteen years and years, years, many years. And so, I mean, from time to time, I uh, you know I've gone to conventions as a retailer and like met with like Marvel mm-hmm. and DC like spokespeople and had these chats with folk and uh so i mean once in a while like it's been a while like i kind of like drop out of the conversations about this stuff because like as a reader i don't care about marvel comics at all uh for the most Mm -hmm. part they're not very good i they just find like they're well drawn and like competently written but they're bad um yep if that makes sense kind of like mama but maybe about this eh, maybe just like mama it's like wrestling like wrestling it's like it it all looks fine but Mm. uh there's not much more to it right right so Anyway, yeah, that whole there's like this whole interview that comes out with like it's like it was like a supposedly Marvel thought this was like a closed doors deal, but yeah. I, I don't think I don't know if that was the case. And like a bunch of retailers met up with Marvel because I guess like I didn't even know this that like the bottom really came out on the direct market of like for comics back in October, and there's like what's what what happened here, and there's a lot of uh, finger pointing coming from Marvel, basically blaming mm-hmm. everybody but themselves because yep. it's, it's DC offering things like returnability. Uh, it's like yeah, the diversity thing kind of flopped, which is like that's like the headline that's like kind of come out of this, and like sure. because of the times, I think to show like I don't know, there's sort of an agenda there to show see diversity doesn't work, but the the key there though is that it's not the diversity that people are rejecting; it's the bad comics. <laughs> that people are rejecting because it doesn't matter. It's like, well, maybe people want a, I don't know, Latino so-and-so like they want, yeah, Latino ghost rider. They want so-and-so and they start like, it all starts coming off as more calculated and not like from right. a genuine place that a writer's like, Hey, I have this really great idea. And the idea yeah. behind it is, is that we're going to have this character of this particular ethnicity happen to be mm-hmm. like this. We're going to run with that. And that that's like cool, but this seems like, Hey, we have this editorial mandate that we need to have this particular demographic covered and now you get to write that story and then those people write generic shitty comics that nobody wants to read and i mean i work at the comic store i see the shelves um we are like kind of a marvel store it's uh, mm-hmm. the owner his tastes skew toward the marvel stuff and we order that stuff and that stuff did not sell there's just like not a groundswell of interest uh i yeah. mean and we're not like a demographically super diverse community and it's not like the comics industry uh has like really fostered like a demographic diversity at all outside of like and i think it's a lot better off like in urban places like your new yorks your los angeles that have sure. massive massive populations um that can draw on that but uh, I don't know if it has that much to do with it, the this diversity thing that they want us to go to. It's just more like quality, and uh, I don't know because you, yeah. you people will buy anything. Like the people jumped on that Black Panther comic; they were like all over so, that goddamn thing. And yeah. uh, but then it like petered out because at the end of the day, I don't know. It didn't seem like the book really had any legs to it. That was uh that was the one thing that I had read a lot was people are like, it's not that. It's like it's not that people don't want diversity. It's that you have like racially diverse or 
like whatever there's diverse characters but you don't support them so it's like the black panthers and the luke cage or like uh L- lgbtq like characters like that what they were trying to do is like and this this is like also the opinion of like people who were way wrong that were just like don't like change our characters just make new ones but i think that was like what people were saying a lot because i think when you try to force it onto those characters, it's what you said. It's mm. like, it just turns out to be like bad stories yeah. because it, it doesn't seem like people actually want to do that. It's just like, okay, you have to do this now. Right. Like this character has to be this. The only time I think it even worked was maybe when uh, lady Thor came. Cause I was reading that and I liked it quite a bit. Yeah, it, Cause, you th- cause it yeah, was, because but, I think he was actually like Jason Aaron actually it, wanted to do that. It was Jason Aaron's idea and it worked. And yeah. it was like, Hey, but I mean, Jason Aaron, one is a good writer and yes. it was like, and I think he came up with the idea cause it wasn't based on a movie or anything. It wasn't like, Hey, yeah. we had this thing and played through and people really like, like you're like kind of Neanderthal reader types, like the, the shitty human beings are like, Oh my God, why is Thor a chick now? It's weird. And like Thor has been yeah. a lot of different things. Like that's the kind of the, it's a cool idea. He was like, a frog it, once. Yeah. He was a frog. So, yeah. oh, he's a human woman. <laughs> what a horrible idea. What a horrible idea. But, I mean, that kind of goes to, like, when Idris Elba was cast as a uh, Norwegian Viking or whatever. But even that's, like, bullshit because it's, like, I think in continuity, Asgardians, you know, one, aren't real. Two, they're <laughs> they're aliens. And it's, like, whatever. One of them looks like Idris Elba. That's what, Who gives a fuck? But yeah, that, that, that's that was the that, key m- factor. that micro controversy that, like, we've just gotten yeah. past now. Ah, yeah. uh, boy. That's the key thing there is it's not real. It's it's not hey, it's fake. It's it's yeah. it's fake comics. <laughs> fake, but yeah, fake, fake comics. Yeah. So I don't know. But yeah, that you I don't read Marvel comics. The only one I ever did read was Thor and uh, I actually really liked what Jason Aaron did with it because you know what? It seemed like he wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's like you said, he's actually a good writer, so that's nice too. Yeah. Well, one thing like uh, you know, bringing this back to movies for a second. Um yeah. it's like the whole thing like in the like Marvel, I mean, their whole like publishing has like always been like they've stolen their ideas from like movies that were popular. Like yeah. Jack Kirby was going to probably fifties, sixties like theaters watching science fiction movies that were coming out, and he went, "Oh, I could draw that," and he just put it in his comics. Like his like, right. that's that stuff is super like uh, derivative, and but he just like spruced it up because hey, you can now read this in a comic form, and I can like now now I don't have a budget because I don't have to actually right. put this on a screen and like have real people doing this stuff. I can just draw whatever the fuck I want, and that's sort of the success mm-hmm. of the Marvel stuff and like superheroes uh, for a period of time, and then like come the seventies, um, these like you know Marvel, which at the end of the day is a publishing company to make money they started saying hey what's popular right now like these superhero comics aren't selling the way they used to and they started seeing all these people in new york city going to like black exploitation movies and they're like hey we should just make like 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 exploitation movie knockoff characters so you had just characters like um uh, Black Panther, you had like Luke Cage, Power Fist, like that idea of like heroes for hire and like telling stories yeah. in New York. And it's like they're just knocking off black exploitation stories, which black exploitation movies were all being done by like white Jewish guys. Um, so it's like, oh, but like, again, times change and then memories shift. Um, like the black exploitation genre, like for a lot of it is like, was that was like founded mm-hmm. by that. And then later on the, the black directors stepped in and, uh, started like you know doing different stuff with it too and then i mean the comics just coasted right off of that and uh, now those characters are held up as like oh they're so like great racial diversity is great and it's like yeah in this kind of weird again derivative way 
because mm-hmm. com- comics are always kind of playing catch up to the the bigger culture uh, most of the time. The big dogs like us. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, is that so all that's your... been the tangent cast. Yeah, that's the tangent cast. Thanks, folks. Yeah. Uh, but hey, so I guess we do have a movie to talk about. Oh, really? I didn't watch any movies. Oh, cool. Um, well, we'll be back in an hour and a half. And yes. uh, at that point, we will talk of Taste of Cherry from 1997, directed by Ooh. Abbas Kirostami. And we're back, and we're talking Taste of Cherry from 1997, directed by Abbas Kirostami. Uh, here's a little synopsis from our friends at Wikipedia, because if I were to just mention what this movie was, it wouldn't take me very long. Right. Mr. Badil, a middle-aged man, drives through Tehran looking for someone to do a job for him, and he offers a large amount of money in return. During his drives with prospective candidates, Badil reveals that he plans to kill himself and has already dug the grave. He needs someone to throw earth on his body after his death. He does not discuss why he wants to commit suicide. His first recruit is a young, shy Kurdish soldier who refuses to do the job and flees from Badil's car. His second recruit is an Afghan seminarist who also declines because he has religious objections to suicide. The third is an Azeri taxidermist. He is willing to help Badil because he needs the money for his sick child, but tries to talk him out of it. He reveals that he too wanted to commit suicide a long time ago, but chose to live when he tasted mulberries. The Aziri, promise, uh, Aziri promises to throw earth on Badil if he finds him dead in the morning. That night, Badil lies in his grave while a thunderstorm begins. After a long blackout, the film ends by breaking, I'll just leave it at this for now, the fourth wall. <gasps> 
Yeah, okay. I actually I didn't know if that was um actually part of the movie or not because I watched this on uh, the Android TV box, yep. which actually by the way is working great now. Fantastic. Woo. Uh yeah, so we uh, me and roommate Scott watched it on the Android TV box and then uh, the movie ends and then it turns into like a behind the scenes and we're like, "Wait a second. Is this the movie? Is this how this is supposed to be?" Uh, so is that actually like how the movie is supposed to end or is yep. that like just act, like That's some it. bonus stuff? That's the end. Why do they do that? Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, first of all, RJ, what did you think of Taste of Cherry? What do you, Ta- hey, RJ, what do you think of Iranian cinema? <laughs> Iranian cinema. Well, I'm a big fan, uh, especially that Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. That is... Uh, easily a zero out of five star movie for me maybe a one out of five it's it's only gotten worse in your mind you didn't mind it as much you just didn't like it i think i i think when i watched i gave it a two and a half out of five or maybe a three i thought it was more anyways that's not even really iranian right Uh, my uh my smart uh fuck what was i talking about i had a smart snappy reply i think it was going to be taste a cherry i could have used a whole bite (laughs) <laughs> take that fans we um, hit you with the wrestling and comics and now now that well uh, you'll have to unpack that one for me um, um i like this movie cool i thought it was good yeah uh i really liked the content and the uh subject matter um i i think i've mentioned before like so when we were talking about like andre tarkovsky there was like these grand theological like posturing things this movie, I feel like, has some of that, but it's kind of more, I don't want to say grounded or real, because that's just like a really lazy way people describe stuff, but I felt I like it was more per- yeah, it personal. Be, I, I think it wouldn't be inaccurate to say that, though. Yeah. I My point, I guess, was I thought they were kind of like covering these weighty topics, but it seemed like a lot more... Um, like a personal way like it's people just kind of talking about real life and you get this diverse cat or like this interesting cast of people he meets like you have a young kid in the army you have like uh, a preacher and then you just have like a dude who's just like an old guy working on the working you know so mm-hmm. you get this like you get this nice play of all these different characters um no, yeah, I I, uh, I kind of glossed over. I did like this movie. Yeah. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I, I like what they talk about. Uh, the copy we watched, um, it was good. It was a little, I don't want to say like grainy or fuzzy, but it wasn't super like crystal clear. And I kind of, I don't think it was because of the box because mm-hmm. we watched, uh, we watched Red, or I watched Red Shoes last week and it was perfect. Right. So I don't know if it was just maybe like the well, copies that are out there. Yeah, this, well, well taste, the, the, the Taste of Cherry DVD that Criterion put out in 1999, that's it. There's yeah. like there's, they, they haven't put it out again in Blu-ray or anything like that. And I, I who knows mm-hmm. if there's actually an HD copy of this floating around. Um, I mean, I just wound up watching this off of YouTube. Um, and yeah. I mean, it looked, yeah. And it looked fine. It wasn't like a, I mean, a great presentation at the end of the day. But, I mean, it had subtitles and it played great. Um, and it was yep. a complete movie. Um, it, it reproduced yep. the, like, it's got like the weird like 1.66 to 1 ratio which is essentially just full frame and it yeah. looked so it looked fine i was kind of initially worried I'm like oh crap is this full framed and like uh cropped out but no it was mm-hmm. it was shot that way and it looked proper so yeah i mean uh so it's readily available folks if you haven't watched it you can just watch it any day 
Yeah, see, that's kind of what I thought because, like, we streamed it, and I was like, well, I know it's on YouTube, so I'm pretty sure the stream I'm getting is just a YouTube stream. Probably. So I was like, I, mean, I think this is probably just, like, the best quality they have out mm-hmm. there. And, I mean, this movie was also, like, like shot, like, guerrilla yeah, style. I, like I it, figured. Yeah, it had a very low budget. Yeah. I mean, like, because what do you need to really do? I mean, it's essentially just driving around the same, like, I don't know, mm-hmm. like, square kilometer, and right. uh, that's about it. Yeah, but uh, no, yeah, I loved seeing um, Iranian Joe Montaigne drive around for an hour and a half. Uh, huh? Okay. You 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 okay. look him up. You'll you'll see why I say that. Mm, okay. um, two things from uh, roommate Scott because he watched this with with me that he articulated a little bit better than I did. Yeah. Um, at the start, um, you really kind of feel his perspective. I love that it's like the camera is just kind of on him driving yeah, for like the yeah. first 20 minutes. And uh, like we looked at each other and I was just kind of like, man, I would love if the whole movie was just this. Right. Like, uh, and I'm actually, I'm glad they didn't do it the whole yeah. time because what the changes in perspective, like with the cameras makes sense and it's kind of a nice break. So I think they did a really good job with all that. Like the way that they either present him and his point of view or when it switches to other characters i thought they did a really good job right so uh scott pointed that out to me and then he also was kind of he was like this i when i went to or started to watch it he's like what are you watching and i was like oh um taste of cherry and i read the description Mm -hmm. he's like you know what that sounds like it sounds like that gus van sant movie from last year but actually done better do you remember that movie Gus Van Sant oh, made a year oh, ago? The four, it was called yeah, like yeah, Tree yeah, of Sea yeah. or Sea of Trees or something. Oh, it had like Matthew McConaughey and Ken uh, Watanabe right. or something. And uh, I remember when that movie came out, Scott was like really excited for it. He's like, this mm-hmm. sounds awesome. And then it got like, I think it had a 0% after like uh, it opened and it was just like, holy shit. So we've talked about this many times and I don't feel this isn't a tangent because uh, old Gus Van Sant's going to pop up a couple oh, times. He, I he's, think. he's he's Criterion alumni. So uh, we, uh, me and Scott have had many discussions about this. We think that he has just been carried his whole career and anything good is not a result from him. It was because of the material he was given. So because I think he's got two or three out of like 10. Two or three good ones out of 10 Mm. bad ones. Yeah, yeah, we could talk about Gus Vincent. We'll, well, we'll, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. Okay, okay. But so my point was, he was he was like, oh, it seems like he just stole the idea, but didn't do it as good. Well, I mean, there's like a there's like this window of time where like everybody was talking about the that Japanese forest. Like it seemed yeah. to be like that was like a big deal. There was like a Vice documentary about it, and like before that, there was like, hey, have you heard of like it's, Japan? Always gets like the weird like, hey, have you heard in Japan? There's this yeah. this forest of Mount Fuji, and people just like go and kill themselves. It's it's so like spiritual. It's so it's so Japanese. I wish I could be yeah. Japanese, <laughs> and it's like it's that shit. And I'm like, I'm sure Gus Van Sant went. Yeah, I, I, I wish I was Japanese. Same. And like he, and he, and, but Same. he, but he actually, as a filmmaker, he went and made a movie, which is cool. But it yep. sounds like he did make a good one because he's like a very uh, coin flip of a type of guy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That that was my point. Yeah. He's a coin but uh, so uh, again, I, I I drift. The the last things I'll say because I actually I don't have a lot of notes because I just enjoyed watching the movie, uh, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the like earth and dust theme. And like the Iranian setting where everything is just kind of like a wasteland. Yeah. There's like a super bland palette to everything. My, my, my like first note is Iran, desolate desert. <laughs> like yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like yeah. it's such a bland palette, but it works so good when the old guy starts talking about like 
optimism and changing your perspective. And then like he's driven this like route like for an hour of the movie already and you see the same stuff over and over again. But then when you, the old guy talks about perspective, it like totally changes the environment. You get like wildlife and trees and water and like stuff like that. So I was like, oh, that's nice. Like see what they did mm-hmm. like this whole time he's been driving and like hating it. So all you've seen is this, this like desolate bland desert but then when he's like you know there's good stuff out there then you see some trees and you hear some birds and you're like yeah there is good stuff out there yeah and then uh no yeah i like the way it ends um other than the weird fourth wall break that you talked about Mm -hmm. however i did i do think i I at first i thought it was a memory that the guy was having and Mm -hmm. i was like ooh, i really like the idea of memories being like old vhs footage but uh then it was like i saw the camera crew and i was like oh wait that's not his memory so i don't i don't really know remember that time i made that movie (laughs) yeah well no because like it started and it was like the picture was different and then it was like the army walk in i was like oh maybe it was like the story he told about how he used to be like a part of that and they used to count so i thought it was like a memory but then it was like oh no wait this is just us we forgot to cut this part out of the movie mm. maybe maybe they they fucked up they're like oh man let's just take this shop this let's bring this to con oh one well, the palm d'or oh we forgot this ending is still this weird thing we at for, the end is there we forgot and uh i didn't look it up because uh i hate when people are like ending explained mm. but uh, this one uh, i i didn't get so i was like huh Maybe I'll figure it out one day. Yeah, it's. I don't think there's any clear-cut explanation of it. Um, so my notes were also quite sparse because I actually just enjoyed watching the movie. Um, nice. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I I feel like I made the mistake of, like, looking up what this movie was about beforehand. But, I mean, yeah. whatever. I mean, like, if you click on Letterboxd, it tells you in one sentence what's this movie about. And then, yep. like, you don't realize until you start watching the movie that, oh, you're not supposed to know what he's doing because scenes play scenes play differently when you aren't aware of what is happening. Because so like there's the scene where he's just driving around and he seems to be just like cruising men and you're yeah. like and, and, he's, <laughs> and he's like looking around and of course like my mind is like well where are all where's like there's no women in this I'm like oh wait it's Iran yeah <laughs> there's there's no women just wandering around and particularly in this like uh like industrial area where it's like i don't know is this like a quarry and it's just these guys just like clumping at rocks that's a job i guess and like i don't know if they're farmers whose job is just like chomp at like you know pick at rocks like you said at the the hillsides and stuff and then help people with their cars and be security guards for like emptiness um Mm -hmm. so that whole the whole knowing what the movie was going in i was like oh this like scene where he's like hey Hey, uh, you need mo- you need a ride? Hey, you need some money? And the guy's like, I'm gonna punch yeah. you in the fucking face. And you're like, Oh, he's like, Whatever, okay. And you're like, Oh, <laughs> what is this movie? And then of course, yeah. uh, then he finally does manage to pick him up. And it's like kind of like you're watching it, thinking like, Oh, he's talking to the people. And it's like it's I always cruising. think of like um, like back to my drama 1000 days about like acting and like oh. the whole idea of like getting your like the upper hand and lower hand and like getting like trying to convince people to do stuff. And so I'm watching it for like that yeah. actorly sort of stuff and. Uh, and you're like, oh, like, like, like the acting, considering I don't know if there's like, like a lot of professional actors in the movie, but like, I thought that like the, um, the Kurdish soldier was actually really good. He played like, um, uh, 
n- nervous and shy mm. and awkward so well. Like there's so many shots of him. Like yes. think like const- like he looked like he was really like he he didn't know he was in a movie and this was happening yep. and he like ran the fuck out of there. Like it played it was awesome. Like I thought that was like really mm-hmm. well done. Um, and then uh, yeah, so my the thing I was very excited about watching this movie and it hit me instantly was like, Oh man, this movie feels so modern. It feels so contemporary. And it's like, uh, in watching the criterion creep proper, like it seems like it's been a while since we've seen something like made in the nineties. Um, and like, cause I I think I'm like, well, we've watched like Silence of the lambs. We've seen Robocop and even like the John Woo stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it's like we've had a long streak of like stuff that's like I mean, fishing with John was also contemporary. That would have been like the most yeah. recent thing. But it was like a yeah. television show. But like watching like a movie that like this movie feels like it would have it could be still made like two years ago and it would feel the same way. Like it, nothing you wouldn't change anything about the actual shooting. Um, right. This is like what an independent movie looks like shot in the 90s like movies like this seem to be like coming out all the time and getting showing up at festivals um right yeah so like that to me was like i was like oh it's like i find this just so immediately more watchable and like i don't know it's like that thing about like oh movies are old and if you don't like old movies you're a philistine Mm -hmm. but like there is something to like watching like a new movie and like how much easier it is to watch like a a new movie and i don't know if it's just like palette um or like just like but or like just the sophistication, editing. yeah. It's like the sophistication of editing and storytelling and the way things are shot in like a, mm-hmm. I don't know. There's more warmth to it and more of like a sense of space. The way that people understand space now, whereas like say something like with Henry V, um, that yeah. that movie was like from a period of time when people were still a lot more accustomed to watching things on stage. And mm-hmm. like movies, kind of were like starting looking at, like starting to look a certain way, but they still looked like movies. Whereas this movie doesn't really feel like a movie; it feels like uh, footage of like an event that actually happened. If that makes sense, right? Yeah, I I do understand what you're saying. Cool. That does make sense. Nice. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so like, and of course, like I realized that this was like the newest movie that would have been ever released by Criterion at the time that it came out mm. in 1999. Because cool. yeah, it was only like two years old, uh, and yeah, it had won the Palme d'Or, uh, the big big award at Cannes, um, and yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, there, I have something to say about that as well uh, when we get yep. to who hated this movie. Um, <laughs> um, I'm not sure if you're, I'm not sure if you're aware of that this that story, but uh, anyway, uh, yeah, at some point I just kind of like wasn't really writing notes, and I was just kind of going along for the ride. Um, yep. and like, yeah, I mean, it's just a series of conversations with guys. And, uh, I mean, he, I mean, by the, when the first person he really speaks to is the Kurdish soldier, he lays out yep. the movie and then yeah. he fails. And then he has to find another guy. We get like a scene where he like talks to a security guard and then he talks to another, like an Afghan guy that's like there, um, mm-hmm. cause, cause his buddy's lonely and they're both lonely. And I started thinking about this like idea of like middle-aged men who are just lonely in this like, uh, Muslim culture and like yeah. starting to like extrapolate like what that sort of life would be like. Um, Kind of like what we do here. That's right. <laughs> With the, mm-hmm. But we're secular here, folks. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, like, so that doesn't work out. He has to abandon that uh, angle. And then he finds the uh, academic taxidermist from the uh, local mm-hmm. university, I guess. And uh, we get, and that's, like, the extended part of the movie. And, I mean, I'd say that that, that whole sequence does play long. Like, 
it's, little bit. It, it's very extended. Um, I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, though, like if you fade in or out of it, like it doesn't really change the way the movie plays at all. Um, yep. Yeah, it's a different. I agree. It's a different kind of boring, I guess. Because I mean, it's like, <laughs> but I mean, it's good. Like, it's still an interesting conversation. I mean, it all depends on how interested you are, I guess, in the story at that point. And I think like the direction and editing and pacing up to that point is fairly good. It's like straightforward that I think it, at that point it has won you over and drawn you in. Um, and then, yeah, you, you get to the ending. Um, the last shot we see in the movie proper is uh, Mr. Badil uh, sitting in his hole in, in this like desert hole under mm-hmm. uh, a tree. And he's him just like looking up and you're like kind of, wonder and then it goes to darkness and then you mm-hmm. hear some sounds uh you don't hear like a gunshot you're like not even sure like how he's like going to kill himself at least like that's sleeping pills sleeping pills okay he, yeah he, he mentions he's going to take all his sleeping pills okay i might yeah i probably yep. missed that bit because like, you didn't even watch the movie uh, did you <laughs> i didn't even watch it my, <laughs> my, my hand is uh overplayed um yeah. and then yeah we cut to like camcorder footage of like the movie set like the the this the area that they've been filming everything in, um, mm-hmm. and like it completely abandons uh, the narrative. You see mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Badil, uh, Mr. Homion uh, <laughs> Irshadi. He's just like up and Say about. Say that again. Homion Irshadi. Okay. Uh, he's just like up and about walking and having mm-hmm. a cigarette, and he's just like waiting for scenes. And then like uh, I'm assuming the uh, director, he's just like on a. Um, a uh, little two-way radio to the soldiers saying, all right, stop the scene. You can just stand around there. And yeah, the movie just like, oh, now it's like almost like a behind the scenes bit with uh, the crew just like milling about and people going up the road. And uh, that's the, the, the end of the movie, um, them filming Taste of Cherry. So mm-hmm. we're left with a lack of resolution, I guess, of what happened if he took sleeping pills, if... Uh, yep. That's the end, or and uh, whether or not he gets buried uh, in his hole, and mm. I guess it's, it's left up to the viewer, RJ, uh, how it all plays out. And I guess the end of this movie says, "Did it really matter?" And I don't Ooh. know how, how how do you feel about that type of uh, that type of ending. Uh, I like ambiguous endings. Okay, I think I think it fits with like it. It shows what kind of person you are. I guess it's like the perspective thing. Glass half full or glass half empty, I guess. That's a new thing I just I just came up with on the spot. You just that's not st- yeah. struck that you're on your own. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, exactly. No, I think it's I think it's like what the old guy was talking about. He's like, it's just a matter of perspective. Like, do you are you like optimistic or pessimistic? Like, how do you see the world? So I think for some people, they're like, Yeah, no, he totally like found a reason to live. And then some people will be like, that guy's dead. Mm-hmm. So no, I like ambiguous endings. You make it, you get to choose your own adventure, like those old Goosebumps books. <laughs> so I, I like that because I like those books too. Cool. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I always like those endings bother me in the sense that when I hit those moments, I'm always like, oh god, I feel like I'm gonna have to like turn and explain the ending after the movie's over to somebody. Sure. Um, that's like been my life, like introducing uh, certain people that I work for during the summer to uh-huh. like more ambitious kind of filmmaking. And I always get this like look, like just like dead eyed look. I'm like, hey, so did you watch this movie? And they go, well, what's with the frogs at the end, Jarrett? 
<laughs> and are you like, talking about magnolia uh spoilers <laughs> yes uh, uh yeah so i get that sort of thing where's the where, where i get like people look at me what are you thinking about you're so smart you have to explain it to me yeah. I'm like well i don't fucking know either i mean like that's sometimes like i don't know and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't work i have to think about it for a bit maybe i'll never think about it again i, I, I don't know it's a roll of the dice and sometimes it's like oh that's kind of novel i mean like nowadays though I don't know. It seems like the ambiguous ending is almost like a, it's not like every movie has it, but it does seem kind of played. And I don't know how, like, I'm curious, like how this worked in 1997. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously it won the Palm d'Or, So I guess maybe people were more into it at that point, but I could feel like some people might've had a, some issue, some umbrage with uh, mm-hmm. this sort of this ending. That's like kind of jars no you, that, that jars you out of the experience. Yeah. And you're like, Whoa, wait, what, 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 what is this? Is this a cheat? Are they trying to get out of like committing to the ending? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know, man. That's why I was, I was really like, not like taken. Well, I guess taken out. Like you said, I was just like, I don't, I was like, what's going on? Yeah. What is this? Is this part of the movie? I don't know. <laughs> Where are we? What's your name? <laughs> Yeah, cherries. Cherries. Yeah. There wasn't a single fucking cherry in this liar movie. You know. See, hey, that's that tells you something. It's an absence. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Minimalism. Yeah. Ex- well. Existential <clears throat> questions. <laughs> uh, there we go. Art That we're back. <laughs> we're back. <laughs> so hey, RJ, who hated this movie? Well, hmm. uh. Chicago Sun Times uh, critic Roger Ebert <laughs> gave this movie one star. Oh, uh, that guy's a, a hack. A, upon upon its release, um, I'll uh, I'll just jump right to uh, this one section, which I believe is right out. This is the Wikipedia featured paragraph. Sure. Uh, I understand intellectually what Kiorostami is doing. I am not impatiently asking for action or incident. What I do feel, however, is that Kiorostami's style here is an affectation. The subject matter does not make it necessary and is not benefited by it. If we're to feel sympathy for body, wouldn't it help to know more about him? To know, in fact, anything at all about him? What purpose does it serve to suggest at first he may be homosexual? Not what purpose for the audience, what purpose for Badi himself? Surely he must be aware his intentions are being misinterpreted. And why must Kirostami's camera crew, a tiresome distancing strategy to remind us we are seeing a movie? If there is one thing Taste of Cherry does not, in, does not need, it is such a reminder. The film is such a lifeless drone that we experience it only as a movie. Uh, well, th- uh, keep in mind. So RJ, keep in mind that Roger Ebert uh, considers La Dolce Vita a great film and gave that for film four stars. Yeah. Okay. So here, here's the here's the score with Roger Ebert. Raj, big Raj, old old Raj. Yeah, I agree with him a lot of the time, but uh, he is a wild card. Mm. Uh, he gave as you showed once he gave spawn i think a three out of four i believe yeah maybe three, three stars out of four yeah. which i think is a little low i would have given it a four out of four mm. uh but he also gave uh one of the worst movies of all time uh happiness a four out of four stars so oh, uh he he can't be trusted in any right so <laughs> yeah I, I don't i get like some of the stuff he's saying but like 
I find it a little surprising that he like hated this movie. And RJ, to correct you, uh, he gave Spawn three and a half stars out of four. Oh, well, there you go. Well, there you go. Near, so that's, that, near perfect. Yeah, so on that right, I agree with him. Um, okay, so the second part of this I'll mention is that, so, like, part of his review is, like, he actually, like, uh, kind of shit talks uh, some fellow critics. Uh, Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago Reader, also, like, fairly noted uh, film critic in yeah. his own right. Uh, he was one of... Uh, uh, Orson Welles's boys back in the day. Uh, he loved this movie and his tastes definitely run far more, um, ultra, a little bit more avant-garde. Uh, he likes to, he has a problem with like how, um, mainstream critics are and like how they seem to like be there to just like prop up studio stuff and to sell DVDs. And he's like, so he's like kind of always like kind of a contrarian, but this movie like totally is up his alley. He's a big new wave dude. Um, so he, in his response, uh, and this is again uh, off the Wikipedia page, uh, a paragraph from him. A colleague who finds Tasted Cherry excruciatingly boring objects in particular to the fact that we don't know anything about Badil, uh, or Buddy, to what he sees as the distracting suggestion that Badi might be a homosexual looking for sex, and to what he sees as the tired distancing strategy of reminding us at the end that we're seeing a movie. The, from the perspective of the history of commercial Western cinema, he has a point in all three counts. But Kurostami couldn't care less about conforming to that perspective. And given what he can do, I can't think of any reason he should care. The most important thing about the joyful finale is that it's the precise opposite of a distancing effect. It does invite us into the laboratory from which the lip film sprang and places us on an equal footing with the filmmaker. Yet, it does this in a spirit of collective euphoria, suddenly liberating us from the oppressive solitude and darkness of Badi alone in his grave. Shifting to the soldiers reminds us of the happiest part of Badi's life, and a tree in full bloom reminds us of the Turkish taxidermist epiphany. Though the soldiers also signify the wars that made both the Kurdish soldier and the Afghan seminarian refugees, and is a tree uh, where the Turk almost hanged himself. Kiarostami is representing life in all its rich complexity, reconfiguring elements from the preceding 80-odd minutes in the video to clarify what's real and what's concocted. The army is under Kiarostami's command, but it is uh, Irshadi, an architect friend of the filmmaker in real life, who passes Kiarostami a cigarette. Far from affirming that Taste of Cherry is only a movie, this wonderful ending is saying, among other things, that it's also a movie. And we don't have to remember all the lyrics of St. James Infirmary, uh, or Infirmary to know that the death is waiting for us around the corner. So, hey, that guy had the same idea I did about how at first it seems like it's a memory about the happy times of his life mm-hmm. with the army and stuff. Yeah. So uh, I guess I write for the Chicago Tribune now. Move over, uh, Jonathan Rosen. Boom, bum, Rosen, boom, bum, Rosen, bum, but you, you old bastard. Holla. Yeah, uh, I'm coming in. Yeah, uh, yeah, I get it. I, I like this guy's take. Mm-hmm. I like it. I didn't think of it that com- complexly. Is that a word? Doesn't yeah. matter. I didn't think about it that intricately, but I did enjoy it, and I agree with what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, sometimes you need like a real uh, film critic to lay things out and play it out. And you go, yeah, no, he's totally right on those fronts. Yeah. Those are things that like I didn't really register because of the way the movie yeah. shot. I don't like there's a minimalist aspect to it that I was more about like just like the character aspect and not the like weird kind mm-hmm. of like 
I guess callbacks to these things that it's interesting to read that because I'm like, oh, I didn't wouldn't have read that at all. So mm-hmm. kudos to the critic yeah. uh, that can actually unpack things well and like pick up on things and like see something in something that others would be like, well, what the fuck's this all about now? And I mean, as and, opposed and, to and, and that is, hack, yeah. And there's like something definitely to be said about like uh, the thing about like Western cinema and commercial Western cinema and like our expectations of like how movies are supposed to play out, um, right. and like that gets tired and gets old. And uh, but it's weird because like critics expect those things, even though they don't realize it. And they would say it; they'd be the first person to say, "Oh, I don't like that at all either." But then at the same time, they've grown up in these confines of like what mm-hmm. movies are supposed to be. Damn it. Dad. Yeah. I thought that's what you were going to say. Dad. This is what a movie's supposed to be, Dad. <laughs> it's your biker mice from Mars like fan film. Oh. Right, guys? All right. <laughs> High fives all around. Um, would you go so far, RJ, to say this is one of the 10 best films ever made, though? Mm, is Spawn on the list? No. Then no. Okay. That, no, I, I liked it. I don't think it it didn't fucking blow my mind. I wasn't like up all night, like, oh my god, that's the best thing ever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, is there some people who consider it that? Uh yeah. So supposedly uh, six notable critics who put it in their uh, 2012 British film mm-hmm. uh, list thing. You do. There's always something like that. You're like, hmm, okay. That seems to be like. It's the uh, social signaling of like, hey, I'm smart and like I, I have really great taste. Even though it's like, well, what movies do you actually like though? Like, I can name at least two Rob Schneider movies that are better than this one. <laughs> but that's I'm not putting it down either. Like, I, I did really enjoy it, but uh, yeah. best ever, no, 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 no. Yeah, this movie's nah. like it seems like its rep has kind of like shifted away. Like, you don't really hear a lot of people talk about this one. Um, really too Michelle. real. Yeah, well, and then like, um, oh, uh, Kurosawa, he died just last year, actually. Um, and he died like it was like shit. It was like a nasty like he just kind of like pretty well killed over while he was like in Italy. I guess he had like a gastrointestinal cancer, and oh, uh, didn't realize it for a while, and it just kind of got worse from there. So, but well, we we will encounter him again. Uh, he's got a he's got nice. some representation in the Criterion. Uh, actually, his last movie came out not that long ago. That uh, certified copy. You might have seen Avengers that. Avengers too. Yes, uh, you might have seen that one pop up. But yeah, we definitely have uh, the movie Close Up that he did that I actually watched not that. that long ago. It's yep. a courtroom drama, and it's like a weird. It's like it kind of goes in the. It's in the same space as the end of this movie, but like blurring that line even more because it's like a documentary and it mm-hmm. might be also a work, but it's like hard to tell. And you also get to experience the like, like absurdity and weirdness of like the Iranian justice system. Which is like uh, I don't know. Whenever I see these movies, it definitely doesn't make me want to travel to Iran anytime soon. Well, that's where I come in. Yeah. I'm going to Iran next week. So. Oh, that's why. No, we, actually, that's why there's no episode next week. What? Uh, well, let's just say that then. I won't finish what I was saying. Okay. We'll use that as an excuse. Okay. Other than uh, the lack of commitment and unprofessionalism of some. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, well, what? uh hey so kevin he gave so not a uh reputed film critic but uh uh, just a joe blow from letterbox he gave this movie half a star 
I really care not how many awards a film receives. You simply cannot get away with an ending like this one. What went before the final five minutes really counts for nothing in my opinion. I'm completely disappointed and I have vowed never to watch another film by this director. Let him waste someone else's time. If I say I really dislike this film, I would not be able to express a thousandth of my feelings toward it. That's so fucking petty. It's like <laughs> good day to like, you, sir. Good day. It's like Steven Spielberg didn't say hi to me at that cafe. I'm never gonna watch these movies again. Mm-hmm. Like, shut up. Who cares? Uh, Vargas Ephim something. He gave this movie one star, and his summary of the uh, film is a bored homosexual who tries to pick up guys while obsessed with death, lethargic doll, and unexplained motives. Hashtag still puzzled how this one, the palm door. The that's dumb. There's some there's some questionable movies that have won palm doors. I don't know if I'd throw this one any shade, you know. Didn't uh Black Snake Moan win that? <laughs> or Bangkok Dangerous? Uh Joshua Brown, he gave this one and a <laughs> half stars. Not only was Roger Ebert right, but in my eyes, he declared himself a prophet when he wrote his infamously scathing review of this film. The dialogue in this film was not only banal, but laughably bad. (laughs) Kurosawami reaches for profound insights, however. He comes up short and winds up with a deathly dull film. The film's closing shots of behind-the-scenes footage of Kurosawami and his crew are the arthouse equivalent of lazily stitched-together outtakes that one finds in lowbrow mainstream comedies. Rather than reminding the audience that that what they watched or suffered through was funny, Kirostami wants us to pat him on the back for putting together something profound. I assure you that he did not. This mm. film won the Palm d'Or in a rare tie. Without having seen the other film, I don't even know what that is actually. I can only, say a tie. I can only surmise that the jury was split between those who were sane and those who were not. I remember thinking that the Tom Hardy film Locke, which actually came to my <laughs> mind watching this film, was a huh. movie that never fully lived up to its conceit. However, after watching this movie, which shares a similar premise, <laughs> it doesn't. No. I, not even remotely. Other than, <sighs> yeah, they're just guys in cars. Uh, I can now say retroactively that Locke is a masterpiece in comparison. Whatever small failures it may have, it makes up by not making me want to forget the taste of cherries. <laughs> Unfortunately, oh. you'll have to see the movie to get that joke. <laughs> um, okay, so I have a few very specific comments to this guy. Yo. Uh, one, he's just an asshole who read Roger Ebert's review before he watched it and was totally tainted by it. So fuck him. He's an asshole. And two, uh, what is, the fuck does he mean by profit? Like, does he think that... Roger Ebert wrote the review before he read the movie or before he watched the movie because um, it's like I guess he thought that Roger Ebert was writing to an audience for like that would be proved to be correct oh, shut up. in the future shut up. <laughs> but shut it's up. like that's not like no he's a film critic he's a guy who wrote a review in 1997 about a movie he didn't like fine shut up it's fine hey I found the, uh, it was a tie actually okay well, what was um, the other one Unagi by Shohi uh, Imamura. Sounds, sounds uh, Japanese. Yeah. Ooh, no. uh, you fucking racist. That movie was made in Tabor, Alberta. 
No, uh, yeah, it's Unagi and uh, translated to the eel. Mm. Um, oh, so, okay, yeah, yeah. So apparently it uh, double one. Also, fun fact, double apparently one. in double one, in uh, 1997, oh. the opening film for the Cons Festival was The Fifth Element by Luke Besson. Ooh. A movie that I hate. Hey, uh, that uh, people sh- will not agree with that, but fuck them. That, no, I, that, I don't like that movie either. Uh, Shohai Imaru, Imamuru. Yeah, he uh, he's got a lot of criterions. We'll be getting to know him one of these days. Yeah. Is uh, this Unagi in there? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, huh. But he's got a movie called Vengeance Is Mine. It's about that a uh, aspiring serial killer. He has a movie called The Pornographers. Uh, and then he's got like, that this- one's about us. Yep, and uh, then there's the starring Randy Orton, and uh, there's like a, he's got like a trilogy of movies called like Insect Woman, Pigs and Battleships, uh, Intentions of Murder. Um, yeah, I'm down with that. Cool. I'm down. Hey, is uh, the Fifth Element in Criterion? <laughs> not yet. It's Good. Not, not even on Laserdisc, so you you won't have to watch that movie anytime soon. Good. I don't like that movie. Yeah. Any uh, parting shots for uh, Taste Cherry? Taste? I could have used a whole bite. (laughs) And with that, I'm going to take some sleeping pills. (laughs) And after the break, you'll be listening to uh, us talking about making a podcast uh, while smoking cigarettes. And an army will run by. um, And it'll be very profound. Taste? What about a bite? Baby loves me, yes, yes she does. All the girls outside, yeah. Says she loves me, yes, yes she does. Gonna show it tonight, yeah. Hey, RJ, do you have any uh, cherries in your house? Uh, only one, but I'm saving that for marriage. If you're saving that was it- really gross. <sighs> I didn't mean that to me. <laughs> I was talking about myself, but I feel like that's going to come. I, I just, I had to break you off. I feel like that's going to come off bad. Um, <laughs> I was joking. Uh, you can tell us about your cherries by emailing us at criterioncreeps at gmail.com. We get lonely over here. We've got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. Uh, We're on Letterboxd. You can check out the stand-up comedy shows that RJ watches. Uh, But I'm sure he's just going to be watching wrestling now because he's a fan for life again. Uh, I'll be watching those those Nick Cage pieces of crap. Uh, We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. Rate, subscribe. What? Someone gave us a bad review on iTunes. So if uh, if there's any real fans out there, uh, we really need you to help us. Uh oh. (laughs) We have five. We have five uh, ratings, and one of them was a one star. So 
So you know what I bet it was? I bet it was that uh, Criterion Quest guy, because uh, we're creeping up on him. Uh oh, baby. Fuck that so guy. I, yeah, fuck that guy. Well, you, you're doing something right if someone hates it, I guess. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And next week there will be no episode because you? I will be away, and I could technically do it. But I would only have a laptop, and I would be in a hotel room with Wi-Fi that and all that fun stuff. So I think we'll just take it a pass next week. But um, I have a feeling that uh, we'll make up for it in the coming weeks as my job winds down. And uh, we might be able to play a little catch-up since we've fallen a couple weeks behind. What do you say? What do you mean we'll catch up? You don't think I have a job? <laughs> no. Oh, I know. Oh, you yeah, you're right. Actually, <laughs> yeah, we could probably do some stuff then. Nice. Uh, well, next episode will be two weeks from now, and at that point, we will be playing the most dangerous game. What's that? Part cheesy? It's a movie um, directed by one Anna Shawshank uh, from 1932. Uh, you know, it's about. Uh, it's one of my favorite things: hunting my fellow man. Mounting. Sexually or physically? Uh, just like Randy Orton. Ooh, physically sexual. Mm-hmm. Well, good night, folks. Thanks for joining us. Uh, maybe not give us any more one-star reviews. <laughs> After that cherry joke, I could see why people might. But uh, I, I swear, <laughs> I was just kidding, you guys. I, I meant it to be a joke about me, and it didn't work, so... Just, just come on, help us out. Mm hmm. Well, bye. Goodbye. I'm going to take sleeping pills, Jer. <laughs>